Welcome to Shatterproof. I am your host, Todd Callahan. Today, I want to talk about becoming a lion. Becoming a lion. I think there is no greater time than right now to become a lion. Uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 15 says, When Gideon heard the account of the dream, and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets and, and empty pitchers into the hands of all the men with torches inside the pitchers. The scriptures teach that we have been created and crafted by our creator with the ability to undergo unique evolutions and changes. And it means that God has empowered us to evolve into different versions of ourselves that can be completely different from the person who we used to be. Thank God that we're not who we used to be. Thank God that when he saved us and and redeemed us and set us free, that we can be different than how we were or how we grew up and, 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 and be involved in different things than the activity we used to be connected with. And, and it is something that is not associated with all of creation. All of creation is not like this, and, and, but it's distinctive with humanity. When a donkey is born, I used this example when I was talking to the church about this the other day, when a donkey is born, I mean, it stays a donkey forever, right? When, when a salmon is born, it stays a salmon forever. But with the human species, it's different because we can experience evolutions to the degree that we don't even recognize our former self. And, and I believe that there are people listening right now who can say, my life is evidence of God's evolution. Because if you think I'm a handful right now, come on, how many of you know you were, you were difficult back in the day? <laughs> you, you were a handful back in the day. Uh, you know, you should have met me before God put his hands on me. Uh, you know, that's evidence of change. That is evidence of God getting a hold of your heart and your life and you changing from the inside out as the Holy Spirit begins to lead you and guide you. And that is why we are not to be a religious people, but we are to be people who are drawn and led by our faith in God. You say, well, pastor, what, what does, why can't we be called religious? Well, re- the term religious, the term religion rather means conforming to an outer code of conduct. We don't want to be religious. We don't want to conform to an outer code of conduct. We want to be changed and completely transformed by the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. So what does that mean when that happens? That means that your past doesn't determine your future. And who you used to be doesn't determine who you can be. That means that your history doesn't determine your destiny because we now serve a God that empowers and enable us to undergo an evolutionary change. But along with those transformations, what he does is he changes our vocabulary. He changes what we say. He changes how we talk. He changes our mouth. And when you look back on your own life and look at where you are today, even Even you might be surprised with your growth. And it's so important to understand that although evolution is revealed and that transformation happens and you see it, it is seen in our actions and it begins with our attitude. Because Romans 12 tells us that transformation takes place inside the renewing of the mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because when my attitude changes, my actions always follow. Change transformation always happens in your mind first. And as your mind begins to change, so do your words, so do your actions, so does your activity. So we're not to do all of that stuff first to be saved. We do all of that and that transformation happens in our activity and it happens on the outside because we've been saved by the grace of God.
And I believe this is one of the ways in which God wants to use uh, um, all of us and allow us to to be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to experience an attitude adjustment. I believe he wants to develop the disposition of Christ in us. And one of the ways in which he wants to do this is by developing in us the ability to control our mouth. If you're with somebody right now, look at them real quick and tell them, say, watch your mouth. Say, hey, watch your mouth. (laughs) James chapter three tells us in in verse one, he says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as much we will incur a stricter judgment for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, And yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. We, I'm sorry, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. If we can start to learn to train our tongue, and I know this is a conversation, especially right now in this kind of culture that we're in right now where we would just want to tell everybody how we feel, tell everybody what we think, just want to tell everybody off all the time. If we can start to train our tongue and equip our mind, God can begin to train us to reign. This is our territory as Christians to occupy. This is our territory. This nation belongs to God. Your sphere belongs to the influence that God has put on the inside of you. And there are two metaphors that the Bible uses to describe the dominant aspects of Christ's characters. There's first that of a lamb. The lamb speaks to Jesus's tendency to be meek, docile and humble now many in our culture right now will look at christians and say well christians are supposed to just be meek docile and humble in the eyes of our politicians they believe the church is a doormat they should just be walked over and the church is supposed to be subjugated to whatever the government says you as a christian are supposed to just bow to whatever your neighbor tells you to do to whatever people in your circle tell you to do, to whatever your boss tells you to do, regardless of your convictions, because you're a Christian. You're supposed to do what you're told. Because aren't you you humble? Aren't you meek? Aren't you docile? And then there's another metaphor the Bible uses to describe another aspect of Jesus's personality. And it's not equally emphasized, but it's very important. And that Jesus was also not just a lamb, but he's also a lion. 
He's also a lion, which speaks to his resilience, his willingness to be assertive and his ability to overcome obstacles that most would not be able to overcome, including the grave. And if we were going to become all that God has called us to become, and if we are going to accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish, we too must hold these two dominant character traits. We must know when to be a lamb, which does not mean that you are a doormat, by the way. And if you've got people in your world and people in your life who try to tell you that, that you, in order to be like Christ, must be like a doormat and lay down and be manipulated and be deceived by culture, they don't understand what it means to walk with Jesus. They don't, mean, they don't know what it means to understand the concept of having a mind like Christ and to be as Christ was. So we must also know when to be a lamb. We must also know when to be a lion. When we're facing adversity and obstacles that attempt to prohibit us from experiencing God's best, trouble shows up at your door. Now, you don't just lay down and let trouble walk over you, right? You don't, you don't send a lamb to the door of trouble when it rings your doorbell. You send a lion. Because if you don't overcome it, it will overcome you. If you don't slay it, it will slay you. If you don't conquer it, it will conquer you. Because listen, life isn't just about what happens to, to somebody else. Life happens to all of us. We all experience a mess at times. We all experience difficulty. Every single one of us go through a valley. Life is about how we respond with our actions and our words to what happens to us. So are you like a sheep or are you like a lion? Are you going, bah, <laughs> or are you roaring like a lion? So this evolution for many of us means that we experience this change in our mouth so that we can become like lions. And that evolution has inherent benefits and blessings. When that takes place, three things begin to happen. Lions have excellent eyesight. So when we evolve and we become lion-like, and I think in, in, any, in any culture I've ever experienced, in any generation I've experienced since I've been alive, I believe the body of Christ needs to raise lions for such a time as this. Because... What happens is when you become lion-like, you start to see things differently. We're not fighting political powers. We're, we're fighting principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. We're not fighting Democrat and Republican. We're not fighting uh, the southern border and the northern border. We're not fighting governors. We're not fighting Congress. We're not fighting one another. We're fighting principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. When you know that, you begin to see things differently. Your words now are different. And I don't know if you've ever researched this, but when I was looking up lions and lambs for, for, for the point of, of, of this, this, this conversation, I don't know if you're aware of this, but lions can see six times better than humans in the dark of night. Lions' eyes come alive at night. They light up at night. In the dark, their eyes come alive. So they hunt at night. When it gets dark in the night, and you stop hunting, guess what? You're not a lion. I'm going to say it again because somebody needs to hear that. When it gets dark in the night and you stop hunting, you're not a lion. But when you become a lion, even when it's dark, you can still hunt. When it's dark, you still build. When it's dark, you conquer. When it's dark, you advance. When other people say quit, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going. When they say, I can't, you say, yes, I can. Watch me. When they say it's impossible, you say, with God, all things are possible. When other people talk fear, you talk faith over fear. When other people fall, you stay strong because lions can see in the dark. 
And in this nation, we've been in the dark. In this time and season that we've been living in, we've been in the dark. And I want to know if you're listening right now, if you have, if you can look back on your life and realize that God has helped you in the dark seasons. You've been through some dark seasons in your family. You've been through some dark seasons in your life, but God still gave you night vision and your eyes still lit up in the dark and you made it through. One of my favorite shows, I know this is probably going to, you know, be a little geeky for some people, but one of my favorite shows is Shark Tank. I love to, to watch even old, um, old um, episodes of Shark Tank because to see these people who've come up with an invention and to see them get shot down, right? And then you go look them up online and you find out they're a multi-million dollar company. Why? Because they had exposure. They went on Shark Tank and didn't get a deal, but they had exposure and that exposure turned them into a multi-million dollar company. It's absolutely astonishing. It's amazing to see companies uh, go on Shark Tank and, 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 and they, they, they get turned down and they go back and they do what the investors were telling them to do to make their product better. And they show up in, in a, di- a completely different season, you know, and say, hey, back on season um, two, uh, I, I showed you this and I got rejected. And now it's season five and I'm back and I've done something a little bit different. And then they get the deal because they applied the values and they applied the insight that the investors told them they needed to do to come up with a better product. And they end up becoming multimillionaires because they listened to the voice of somebody being able to speak into the darkness of their, of their night. When they were told no, they experienced a dark season, but they didn't stop hunting. They didn't stop. They continued to hunt in the middle of the night. And see, that's what happens when you become lion-like because not only do you see differently, but now the relationships that are in your sphere, you see them differently. You know, lions are a part of the, uh, the cat family. And to be honest with you, I really don't like cats. I am not a cat guy. Um, it's not that I don't think they're, that the cats are beautiful. I think they're, you know, exotic looking. I, I, you know, maybe you're a cat person, don't get offended, you know, um, but I, I'm, I'm more of a dog guy, to be honest with you. I've got three dogs at home. I've got two German Shepherds, and then my wife has a dog. It's her dog because it's so little. I can't do much with it, but I have two German Shepherds, and she has a miniature dachshund. We love those, those three animals. They're just awesome animals. So why don't you like cats? Well, good question. Glad you asked. I was sitting in my grandfather's chair when I was a, when I was a child. I think, I don't know, I was probably seven, eight years old. It was a black and white cat with a little bit of tan on it, and my grandmother called it Kitty. She would always call it, um, you know, by, by its name when she'd open the door, and it would just come running to her every time she called it. So it was a friendly cat for the most part, and, and um, you know, would always kind of rub up against your leg and go between your feet, and, and it was always around. And I was sitting in my grandfather's chair watching TV one morning as a kid, and Kitty jumped up in my lap and was rubbing its head on me and, and, you know, doing all kinds of cat things that they like to do. And I was just, you know, stroking its back and rubbing its head. And, you know, while I was watching TV, all of a sudden that cat turned and looked at me. And it was a, it was a look I've never seen before out of any other animal, but this cat gave me this look and I looked at the cat and all of a sudden that thing stood up on its back two legs and started boxing with me. Now this cat was not declawed. All right, this cat started boxing with me and it freaked me out. I've shoved that cat off of my lap and ever since then, I have never trusted cats. 
because I, I see that look in every cat that I look at now. And I think there's some beautiful cats. Don't get me wrong. I just don't trust them because I can know if a dog doesn't like me, it's going to growl. It's hair on the back of its neck is going to stand up. You know, it's not going to wag its tail. It's going to stare at me. You know, it's, it's going to let you know in advance of what it's going to do. Cats are not like that. Maybe your cat is. Maybe that's just my experience with my grandmother's cats. But anyway, cats are part of the lion's family. I love the majesty of lions. When we lived in Central Florida uh, for, for many years, we had uh, annual passes to Bush Gardens and SeaWorld, and, and um, uh, we loved going to watch the animals. And one of my favorite exhibits to stop by at Bush Gardens was the lion exhibit, because I love to just sit there and watch how these lions interact with each other, to watch they, how they interact with, uh, with the people who are feeding them, and just, you know, observe their, their nature, observe their activity. And one of the things that make lions distinct in the cat family is this, lions travel and exist in what we call prides. In other words, they never walk alone. They don't walk by themselves. They exist in prides. When you see one, you know, when you see one lion, you know there's another one somewhere nearby. So this is interesting because I discovered that for the most part, the male lions protect the territory of the pride and the female lions do most of the hunting. I'm going to say that again because that's a great revelation for somebody out there. The male lions protect the territory of the pride and the female huntings do most of the hunt, uh, female lions do most of the hunting. Because let me tell you, sister, if you're listening right now, when you find a king, he loses, loses you to hunt. He lets you go to do everything that God's called you to do. He doesn't stifle you. He doesn't suffocate you. He doesn't stop you. He doesn't block you. He will loose you and allow you to hunt and do everything that God's called you to do. He looks at you and says, you go, girl. I know God's built something in you, and he's starting something in you, and he's going to bless the kingdom because of, of everything that he's put on the inside of you. Your family needs you to be loosed. Your children, ladies, need you to be loosed, where you are fully expressing all that God has called you to be. I want you to know that the lions and the lionesses are on the loose. Come on. They have roars and a sound from their mouth that others in the pride recognize. So check this out. When a lion roars, it can be miles away from the pride, right? It can roar. And from miles away, other lions in the pride can hear that roar and identify that this lion, that roar is a part of their pride. This is why a lion can roar and other lions will come running because lions always respond to the roar. And some of us need to get that revelation. If we're going to be who God is calling us to be and who God's calling us to become, and do what God's calling us to do, you're going to need a pride of lions who are making the same sound as you do. You cannot build something if everybody around you is purring like a kitten. You need somebody who can open up their, their big mouth and roar and make a sound. You need somebody to help you build something. You need somebody who has relationships that you don't have, who can open up doors that you can't open by yourself. You need somebody who has expertise that you don't have. And you are going to need other lions to build something, but they can't find you if you're scared to open your mouth and roar. And some of you are silencing your roar because you are trying to accommodate the kittens in your life. My God, that is for somebody right there. You are trying to accommodate the weak and feeble kittens when God has positioned you to roar like a lion. But because you don't want to scare the kittens in your circle, you're, 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 you're silencing your roar, not realizing that other lions won't come running until they hear your roar. A lion can tell when another lion is talking. A lion can tell when another lion is around. 
A lion can tell when there's another lion in their territory. So when you're talking about your vision, they can tell if you're a lion. When you're talking about your dreams, they can tell if you're a lion. They can tell if you're just purring or if you're ready to go hunt something. And if you want to bring lions into your relational circle, you cannot be afraid to be the only one roaring because sometimes you've got to roar by yourself until you can finally attract your pride. Some people are so weak in their calling and so weak in their activity. They just want people around them to make them feel good, not realizing they've got a bunch of kittens in their circle while they're trying to be a lion. You cannot allow the people that are around you to determine and to dictate whether or not you roar. Open your mouth and roar like the lion you've been called to be. You've got to roar until your help shows up. Don't wait until help shows up to roar. You roar until your help shows up because you need to roar so that those that hear you roar, they think there's a pride already inside of you that exists. Your roar will attract lions. And if there has ever been a time in our generation to roar and make a sound, it's right now. It's right now. Because let me tell you something. Washington, D.C. is making a sound. The governors in your capital districts are making a sound. Your, your human resource department, your boss, your manager, they're sure making a sound telling you what they think you need to do. You need to stand for truth. You need to stand for righteousness. Not only does becoming lion-like shift your relationships, but it also changes the way you, you move. And I don't know if you know this, but, but I found out that lions don't walk on their heels. They don't walk on the back of their feet. They walk on the tips of their paws. And this helps them in, in, in kind of their stealth hunting. I, I love following uh, animal um, pages on, on Instagram and, and Facebook, and I love watching how these, these dynamic animals interact with one another. And, and what, you know, what their, how their nature, uh, what their nature is in certain environments and certain elements. But when lions hunt, they hunt on the backs of their heels. On, I'm sorry, not on the backs of the heels, but on the front of their paws. Because they can make moves, and when they do that, you won't even know they're coming. See, lions don't just roar, they have to learn to make moves. Because if somebody's just running their mouth and talking and talking and talking and talking, they're not a lion. Because lions don't make a bunch of noise, they make moves. You let them make the noise. You let other people around you uh, purr. You let other people around you make these god-awful gossip sounds. You make them, you let all these other people get in, engaged in all of this stuff that has nothing to do with the kingdom. You let them make the noise. You make the moves. You let them brag. You let them gossip. You make the moves. But it also helps them when they are hunting prey in evading danger. One thing I learned about lions is they can, they can run up to 50 miles per hour for, for a short distance. And some of them can even leap several feet in distance. This means when you become lion-like, you never become intimidated because someone else has a better start. A lion doesn't stop chasing something because someone has a head start. A lion will chase it down. If you know what God's called you to do, you will chase it down. It doesn't matter if somebody else is already there. If God has given you intuition, if God has given you insight, if God's given you revelation, I don't care if somebody else has been there for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You have something different seated on the inside of you from heaven that is beyond anything that's ever touched the face of this earth before. You chase the thing that God has called you to go after. A lion doesn't say, well, I've wasted six years. 
I should be further along than I am right now. A lion says, I'm going to stay off my heels and I'm going to catch up to where I need to be. A lion says, I'm going to make up for lost ground. A lion says, I'm going to make up lost time. And I don't know who's listening right now to this podcast and you feel like someone else has gotten the head start and you feel like you should be further along. I want you to know it's time for you to get off the back of your heels. It's time for you to get out of your spiritual lazy boy and it's time for you to begin moving. It's time for you to believe that God can help you make up for lost time. If you messed it up, then start making it up. If you broke it, then figure out a way to fix it. If you wasted time, well, God is about to redeem it because your God is the redeemer of time. God is the restorer of years. God is the fixer of broken things, and he specializes in helping you play catch up. He will restore unto me the locusts and the worms, what the worms took from me. And even if he doesn't give me more time, he will help me use the time that I've got left, and I'll do more in the time I've got left than I did in the time I wasted. I'm preaching to somebody on this podcast right now. He, he can open one door this week that has been closed to you the last 10 years. He is the God who redeems and restores all things. That door that he opens up for you this week can produce more blessing and favor for you than that one door you thought you missed or that one door you did miss 10 years ago. And you've been living under the condemnation of not walking through that door. If you begin to move now, God can open up a door for you right now that does more than that door you missed 10 years ago could ever do. And when you become a lion, when you become like a lion, you won't, you won't allow your own setbacks to hold you anymore. Now, if being a lion helps you see better and relate differently and move differently, who wouldn't want to evolve into that kind of persona that have that kind of mindset and see that's what i'm talking about right now when you change what you say you change the course of your life gideon gideon was a leader that god wanted to use to free israel from oppression from this nation called midian now if you know this story god had to talk gideon into his assignment gideon was insecure he felt inadequate and was apprehensive but eventually he said all right god i'm gonna do this i'm gonna you know do what you've called me to do In Judges chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Or maybe God's saying that to you right now. Maybe you've got too many people in your circle, and your circle needs to get smaller. Now, if I'm Gideon, I'm asking God, why didn't you tell me this before I said, yes, I will do it? Now, how many of you know, if you've been walking with God for any space of time, the scripture is clear in communicating that we can see that there are some times that God will intentionally withhold information from you. He'll call you to do something and tell you that this is the direction you need to go, and he won't give you much information other than that. So it doesn't matter how much you see, there's always some stuff that you don't see. I mean, we can look at Joseph, Jeremiah. (laughs) We can ask Moses and Abraham, because God will give us information on a need-to-know basis, not on a want-to-know basis. And if we all knew what we were getting ourselves into when we said yes to our calling, when God placed a mantle upon us and we begin to walk in it, we probably would not have received it had we known what we were going to have to go through once we said yes. But now you're into it and you've got to figure this thing out. So he doesn't give us incomplete information. God gives us incremental information. He says, I gave it to you on a need to know basis, not what you want to know. So he tells Gideon, you have too many men. And he goes on to say, for me to give Midian into their hands for Israel would become boastful saying my own power has delivered me. 
We must value the way and not only the win. Some of you may be struggling right now trying to figure out the direction that God's taking you through to, towards your calling and towards your purpose. And I want to encourage you to understand you must honor the way he's going to get you there and not just the win. It's like God telling, is telling Gideon here, you're, you're going to win and I'm going to show up, but not in the way you think. He says, because if you let the win, if you honor only the win, you're going to think you won by your own doing. So I'm telling you that you have too many men because I don't want you to win that way under your own power. Because if you win the way you're trying to win, it's only going to cause you to lose later on. And if you think you are responsible for winning, Gideon, then you are going to go into your future battles and, 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 and take your own strength, your own ingenuity, your own intellect, because you're going to forget that it wasn't you that won. It was me. Because we can win in a way in one season that causes us to lose in another because it's in the way that gets you ready for the win. It's in the way that lets you ready, that gets you ready for the win. The way makes you, the win will expose you. The way he takes you, it makes you. The win exposes you. When you win, it doesn't make you a winner. It will expose you as a winner. When you win, you were already a winner because you were making the sound of a winner. Listen, when David defeated Goliath, that didn't make David a warrior. He was already a warrior. It just exposed him to everybody else around him. But the route that God takes you, when he takes you the long route, when you wanted to go the short route, when he takes you the hard way, when you wanted to go the easy way, God is using the way to produce something in you and to make you into who he needs you to be so that you can win. And what that means is I have to value the way and we need to trust God that the way he takes us is the right way to go. So he's training you by way of how you think and what comes out of your mouth. So I want to ask you, can you trust God's way? Can you trust that he's working something out so that I can not only win in this season, but that I can win in the next season as well? Because I have to learn to value the way and not just the win. So he goes on to tell Gideon, he says in verse three, now therefore come proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people return, but 10,000 remain. So he's got 32,000 people there and 22 of the, of the 32 decided to leave. Now he's left with 10. Are you ready for this? He said, if you're afraid, you can go back and 22,000 people left. Let me suggest to you right now that everyone that is with you is not with you and you don't know who is with you until they have an option not to be. All Gideon did was give them an option not to run with him and 22,000 people took off. And the Bible says that 10,000 people remained. Verse 4 of Judges 7, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them there for you. If you're going to be someone who speaks into their destiny, we must submit to God's selection at some point. You've got to let God pick your circle. You've got to let God put your circle together. Those who you're going to run through. God told Gideon, I'm going to go through them for you and take care of this because I'm preparing for you a battle that you haven't even fought yet. So you don't know what, who to pick because you don't know what tomorrow requires. So you're probably upset, Gideon, with the 22,000 people that you lost. 
And you're making a sad sound out of your mouth, not realizing that what you thought was going to be a blessing would have ended up being a burden because more isn't always more and less isn't always less. Who am I talking to right now? I've got to learn to submit to God's selection because three lions, come on. I would rather have three lions in my circle than 50 kittens all day long. Because three lions are more than 50 kittens. You lost 22,000. Then you had 10,000 remaining. Then he says, take them down to the water. Now, you know, when, when, when God says, take them down to the water, you know, you know something's about to go down. In other words, there's some separation that takes place in your relationships when you move. If you're not moving, then there won't be anything thinning out. There won't be any pruning happening in your relationships. And then what comes out of your mouth is in direct conflict with what's happening versus God's will. But when you start moving in your mind and shifting your words and beginning to make changes and start advancing, when you start going where God sends you, then God starts thinning people out. Because some people want you to move, but they want you to move how they want you to move. And I want you to, you know, he's telling Gideon, I want you to take them down to the water because you can't see who needs to be with you when everybody's thirsty. That's for somebody right there. Because when you are thirsty for company, how many of you know you're not going to choose right? When you're thirsty for friends, you don't choose right. When you're thirsty for opportunities, you don't choose right. When you're thirsty for opportunity, every opportunity seems like a good opportunity. But is it a God opportunity? When you're thirsty for company, everybody that will give you company seems like good company. So he tells them to go to the water and see how they drink. Verse five, so he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, you shall separate everyone who laps the water with their tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. In other words, see who drinks while they are watching and see who drinks while they aren't watching. See who stays ready for everything. Verse six, now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. So he loses 22,000 men, then he loses 9,700 more. And then God is like, now you're ready. Gideon Gideon was trying to rationalize this in his mind because the 22,000 you thought you lost wasn't a loss, but they, but because they were scared. They don't have to be perfect, but they were weak. And you have to be strong in certain seasons. You're getting ready to fight Gideon. You don't have to be perfect, but you can't be scared. So God separated those that were scared. Gideon's, you know, Gideon, I'm not judging them, but they aren't ready for this. So they can't run with you because what is required for this, they aren't ready for. And you can't take them to a place they aren't ready for. Because when it's time to fight, they are going to be retreating. And you'll now have to worry about not just your enemies, but your friends who are retreating as well. You can't worry about both. But if we submit to God's selection, this is what will happen. Verse 8 of Judges chapter 7. So the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands. And Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each into his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So he took 300 and he took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Remember, it was 10,000, 22,000 left and 10,000 remaining. He sent 9,700 home, but he keeps their provisions and their trumpets. So even though he only had 300, he had the provisions and the trumpets of 10,000. Because when you have the right 300, it's like you have 10,000. And God can do more with the right 300 
than he can with the wrong 10,000. I would rather have three lions in my circle than have 50 kittens. Where are the people of God who can be a small army but make a great sound? We need God to give us a gracious goodbye to people who cannot be a lion in our circle. A gracious gift of goodbye to step back and with tears in your eyes say, it might hurt me to see you go, but you can't come back because where I'm going, you can't run with me. So I will cry until you tell me, let it go. Let it be. Oh Lord, your will is what is best for me. So it might hurt and I might cry and life might be different and I might be lonely and it might be weird, but I've got to learn to get the gift of goodbye because if I keep people in my pride, if I keep people in my circle who don't belong there, it's going to slow my progress. It's going to defeat the, the, the passion that I have to pursue the calling of God on my life and carry that mantle with fervency. Because when God pulls people out, he pulls them out preemptively. He says, I'm trying to pull them out before you see why they needed to come out. I'm trying to keep you from seeing a hard way of why they needed to come out. And then verse 9 The Bible says, now the same night it came about against the Lord. He said to him, now arise and go down against the camp for I've given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with, go, go with Pearl, your servant down to the camp. Now, now wait a second. Verse 10, he just said to Gideon, if you're afraid to attack, now didn't 22,000 leave because they were afraid. Then why did Gideon get to stay? See, this is important because sometimes when God gives us unique opportunities, you need to remember that some of the same stuff that is in the 22,000 that left is in you too. God was like Gideon, the same stuff that was in the 22,000 that had to go home because they were afraid. They had fear. It's in you too, Gideon. Some of the same stuff that is in non-believers, come on somebody who's listening, yes, some of that same stuff that is in you, maybe on the side No, this, come on, it may be off to the side. It may not be directly impacting your life, but you're still connected to it. Yeah, some of that same stuff that non-believers struggle with, it's in you too. The places that non-believers go, come on, you still know how to get there. You don't have to use your GPS to get there. You know right where it is. Come on, who am I talking to? You haven't forgotten where that place is. What was the difference with Gideon? It wasn't his perfection. It was his authenticity. I'm sorry, his authenticity. From the very moment that God engaged him, he got a man without any pretenses. There was no pretense in Gideon. God said, I want to use you. And Gideon's like, "Uh, no, you got the wrong one, God. It's not me. I'm the weakest in my tribe. I'm the weakest in my family. I don't have the faith for this. You got the wrong person. The difference is this. God can use people that are not perfect, but he can't use people that he can't trust. He says, Gideon, the fact that you were so honest with me about yourself lets me know you're a man that I can trust. You're broken, but I can still trust you. You don't believe in yourself, but I can still trust you. You're wrestling with some of the same issues that the 22,000 were fighting, but I can trust you because of how you see yourself. And you can't fix what you're blind to. You can't overcome what you don't know exists. So if you're, if you're trying to figure out this next step in faith with God, You've got to acknowledge the stuff that exists around you, the stuff that you are involved in on a daily basis that God wants to eradicate from your life and heal you in those places. So he acknowledged Gideon's insecurities and understand because of that, you can't overcome what you ignore. You can't overcome what you ignore. And lions have to know when they are better with their sword than with the spear. 
A lion has to know how to approach the weaknesses. And many people feel pressured to be pretentious with the only one that can actually handle the real us. That's how much our expression of religion has formed the way we approach God. Like God would have asked some of us if we were afraid and we would have been like, no, no, God, uh, no, man, I'm, I'm good. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he's like, I know you're scared. I know you're scared. We can't be so super spiritual and so hyper spiritual that we can't admit weaknesses in areas where we're operating in a place of fear and God's trying to heal us in those places. God's saying to Gideon, I'm the only one you can actually tell the truth. Gideon acknowledged it. So when you're tired, you need to recognize it. When your faith is fragile, you need to recognize it. Saints, when your hope is diminished, you have to acknowledge it. And when you have been worn down and you feel like you have no more lion in you, you must acknowledge it. Because God can't address what you won't acknowledge. He only consumes what is laid on the altar And if you will bring that offering and lay it on the altar, he will consume it. If you'll bring it, he'll fix it. He didn't judge Gideon's fear. He told him where to go to get it fixed. God said, if you'll bring me the brokenness, I will tell you where to go to get it fixed. And we have, we've got to learn to execute with excellence and be strong in the fact that God has called you to be a lion. Gideon, when, when he understood where God was telling him to go, this was like a supernatural experience in verse 15. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. So he bows down and he worships and then he went to the camp and organized the 300 that he had and executed the assignment with excellence. He won not because he bowed down. He won because of what he did when he stood up. He brought order into his life. I I sense the Holy Spirit right now in this moment on this podcast because as your opportunities increase, so must your order so that you can win without losing. Because as opportunities and responsibilities increase, it will be demanding and overwhelming to the degree that it invades and robs every area of your joy and your peace and happiness. And all of these blessings start to feel like burdens if you don't get your 300 and put them in order. Some peace comes from praying, but what you do when you're praying is a part of that as well. God is bringing order to the lions. And you may feel like you're a lion, but you're stuck in the den. It's time for you to come out of the lion's den and be the lion in the territory that God's called you to to, to be in. This is your moment and my moment. In this nation, I believe that God is, we're about to see a move of God like nothing we've ever seen in generations past. The books you've read about moves of God in this nation and around the world is going to pale in comparison to what God's about to do. But God is calling upon the church. I feel it. I feel this prophetically in my spirit. God is calling on the church right now to be a lion in the midst of this culture. And understand, there are seasons and moments where you and I have to operate like a lamb. Where we're going to have to walk in in, in certain aspects of lambness, if I can say that and use that term probably not even a term, but walk in that same spirit. But there is a greater time that we are living in right now for such a time as this, that he's calling us to be lions. 
And you may be stuck in that den right now, but I'm encouraging you to get out of that den, hold your head high, and allow what comes out of your mouth to represent the godly roar of the lion that he's called you to be. This culture is waiting on your sound. There are people connected to your gift, to your calling, just like Gideon. And you need to be obedient to God to know when you've got to face your weaknesses so God can heal you. And when you've got to know, you've got to operate out of the gift that God's put deep within you. Don't disqualify yourself based on your past. Don't disqualify yourself by what you believe are your inadequacies. Don't disqualify yourself because of what someone has said to you in a previous season. Get a revelation of God's preferred future for your tomorrow, and you need to run with that. You need to be the lion that God has called you to be and roar in every space and every territory he puts you in because that territory must be occupied by you and I because it belongs to God. May God get all the glory in every sound that you make, in every place that you, that you put your feet upon. May you fulfill the mandate of heaven. May you walk in peace. May you walk in joy. May your anointing be revealed and may, may heaven's power, may the power of the Holy Spirit guide you and dictate you everywhere you go. The Lord bless you. I love you. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Shatterproof. If you'd like to sow into this ministry, go to our website at ignitechurchvt.com. You can download our app on your app store, whatever platform you have. You can search Ignite Church VT. You can sow and give towards this podcast. If it's being a blessing to you, you can sow into this ministry. Lord bless you. I love you. Connect with me on social media, Pastor Todd Callahan. I love you, and I'll, I'll connect with you on a brand new episode next time of Shadowproof.